0: Getting the game Sunday like we've been stating uh, today, and we hope that you'll be able to participate in some ministry or small group today. And uh, we also have something coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, if you're relatively new to Grace, maybe you've been coming the past year or two, or maybe this is your first Sunday. in two weeks after our second service on September 24th, we have our Discover Grace, which is a basically something that you can come to with your family. We have childcare, we provide lunch, and uh, we want to just provide you Uh, some on-ramps as to how can you get involved here at Grace, but also hear about our mission and vision of the church and get to meet some of the leadership here. Uh, It's just a wonderful way for your family to connect uh, with us and also uh, just provide maybe some helpful information to you as uh, we want to invite you on the journey with us. And And so um, we hope that you'll be able to join us with that. You can let the church know if you plan to participate. It's in your Connect Group booklet as well uh, today, how to participate in that. But we want to just invite you to that as well. Um, Today, we're going to now turn our attention to the Word of God. We're going to be uh, continuing in our series on the Messianic King. We're going to be uh, titling this message as Who Jesus Calls His Disciples. This is part one. We're also going to be looking at Acts two. Uh, this morning. And so today, as um, as I am reflecting on our weekend, we've had a relatively busy weekend as our, with our family. We uh, celebrated our youngest son, Everett's fourth birthday. He turned four yesterday, and so that was really fun for him. And, and uh, there are things that, you know, you see as a parent, your personality uh, kind of shows up in your kids at times, right? And so it's kind of interesting how you have uh, if you have multiple kids, how how many times there are certain personality types that are just instilled in them. And so one of the things that, you know, we, we would often say when it was like our birthdays, it would be like, hey, you know, it's our birthday. So you have to, you know, you have to do what I ask, or you have to meet this request that I have, no matter if it's crazy or not. You know, we always just use the phrase, well, it's my birthday. Well, it's my birthday. So yesterday, you know, this Everett's birthday, and he basically on Friday and on Saturday, he kept saying, you know, every time we would do something that he would ask, he would say, it's because it's my birthday, right? It's because it's my birthday. And so last night, as I'm getting ready to put him to bed, he looks at me and says, can I have another one tomorrow? (laughs) And of course I'm, you know, my heart melts for him all the time. So I'm like, sure, you know, let's have another one tomorrow. Let it be today. Amen. So uh, he's quite, he picks up on things and and uh, maybe you've had some experiences like that. But um, today we're going to look at the Word of God today because there are going to be some things that Jesus is going to expect from us and things that He wants to come out of us. Um, and so today we're going to look at the Word of God from Matthew chapter 5 and also Acts chapter 2. Um, at this point, <clears throat> Jesus has started His Sermon on the Mount, it's one of His Uh, most famous sermons, very detailed in his sermon. Uh, A lot of information provided here. Um, And he's at this point teaching people how to be a follower of him, how to be his disciple. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at who Jesus calls his disciples because you have to understand where he's going. At this point in Matthew chapter 5, He has taught them about blessed living. What does that actually look like in the kingdom of heaven? What does that look like? Because it's going to be totally different than the way the world evaluates blessing. A lot of times the world evaluates blessing on the outside, the outward appearance. Things are going well, and so they consider that person blessed. Jesus is going to talk about blessing that happens on the inside. That's where he is getting to. And so you have that term, the Beatitudes, that's given. He tells us exactly what blessed living looks like in his kingdom. Now at this uh, last week, he's uh, just done something. He has said something that's rather shocking. He's telling them that he has not necessarily come to get rid of the law, but he's come to fulfill the law. But he's going to clarify exactly the original intentions as to why the law was given. The law is basically the first five books of the Bible. Because the spiritual leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders alike, have been teaching them the law, but they have been pulling the people in the wrong direction. They have a lot of influence. They not only are teaching the people how to build and develop a spiritual life, they're in control of of everything. They're in control of buying and selling, like everything evolves around them. And Jesus has now just said, if your righteousness does not surpass theirs, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so at that shocking statement, now you kind of know why they get mad at Jesus. After that shocking statement Jesus makes, he's basically just torn down the whole spiritual life, their spiritual world at that point, saying the direction they have told you to go is the wrong direction. You actually need to go the opposite direction. And if you continue on this path of the direction that they are leading you on, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so now they're at this point of where they're hearing that and they're like, So what hope is there for me if if I continue on this path, if I if they're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of my day and my righteousness does not surpass theirs, I'm never going to enter the kingdom of heaven, which means I will never have a chance to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is now going to build up the type of spiritual life that he had designed for them to live. And now he's building it up because he's not he's not bashing them. He's not ridiculing them. He's not telling them, man, you really messed up. Like, you've really made, made some major problems. You know What Jesus is simply doing is he's trying to tell them the direction you're going needs to be torn down. But now Jesus is going to build them up because you're going to see this over and over and over again. Jesus is not in the business of tearing people down. He's building them up. He's providing with them. He's providing to them the dignity that they rightfully deserve, And you'll see that throughout the Gospels. You see that Jesus will constantly be building people up. But there are some things that need to be taken out of their life because of maybe labels or maybe specific teaching that they received that is totally destroying their spiritual journey. And Jesus has to address those things so that they go in the right direction for their life. And so now Jesus today is going to teach us on something. And you may be wondering, okay, we're going to be you know, uh, participating in small groups. We're going to be serving today, and now we're going to be talking about this passage of Scripture today, and the topic of it is on murder. <laughs> like, that's strange. How does that work? Well, I'm glad you asked, because Jesus is going to get deeper than just the term murder. He's actually going to take it a whole lot deeper than what it looks like on the surface. And so we're going to read verse 21 through 20, 26 today, talking about living in community with one another. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And they remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may come, may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's addressing something right at the start. He says, here's what the law states. You shall not murder. If you do, you're going to be answerable to judgment. And then Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother or sister, watch this, you get the same result. You get the same result. You are also answerable to judgment. It's a very interesting thing. Jesus has already stated that he has not come come to take away the law, but to fulfill it. And many people would accuse Jesus of trying to get rid of the law or he didn't take the law serious enough. You know what? I realize Jesus actually takes it farther than what is stated. Because why? Because Jesus is now providing for us the original intentions behind things and why they were said. Jesus is getting deeper. He's not just talking about the physical act of murder. He's actually talking about anger. And before you may think, isn't there righteous anger? Jesus is not talking about righteous anger. We learned in Proverbs what the righteousness, righteous anger looks like. It involves injustices that God says, I want and I will correct. And that is what Jesus is referring to when it comes to righteous types of anger. And that's what the word of God is referring to. Injustices that God is so passionate about that he wants to correct and make right. This is not talking about this. This is the type of actions that will happen When somebody is angry, they will do what it says, not only murder, but they will do other things. They begin, Jesus not only talks about murder, but he talks about this word called raka, which simply is this. It is calling somebody empty-headed. And another phrase that you could use is calling somebody a moron. And this is what Jesus says. You do not do that in my kingdom. You do not do that. Name-calling is not a part of my kingdom. And Jesus is showing us something here because the world and the culture that they live in is divisive, very divisive. In fact, they are preaching a message that shows that there are more divisions than they are unified things. Simply put, Jesus has brought, is basically addressing something indirectly because they would see this, and we see this. You have your Pharisees, you have your Sadducees, who did not like each other. And they were divisive. And people would have to pick a side on who they were following. Would I follow the teaching of a Pharisee or would I follow the teaching of a Sadducee? Which one would I follow? Isn't the world still dealing with the same problems? More about division. It's more, we focus more on the things that divide us than unite us. In Jesus' kingdom, Jesus is saying, as you walk on this planet Earth... Those who are my followers will recognize that there's more that unites them than divides them. It's the quite opposite of what the culture has been showing and teaching. There's more that unites than divides. It's such an interesting thing that Jesus is going to take them on. And he's specifically dealing with the issue of anger. Because if they, they maybe not have recognized this, yes, murder was a part of their law, but so was anger. It was a teaching that had not been talked about. They had not been taught on dealing with the issue of anger. And Jesus is now going to deal with this directly, simply saying that when it comes to these types of things, and he uses the phrase, for those who want to be a part of his family, who want to be a part of following him, they're going to have to learn to get along. They're going to have to learn to be united Over certain things? And how in the world is Jesus going to get people who have different opinions, different beliefs about certain things, and and there's different ways of looking at situations? How is Jesus going to build an eternal kingdom in this world when the human race is involved and we've all fallen short of the glory of God? How is Jesus going to be able to do that? I'm glad you asked because Jesus addresses that. Jesus is going to show you the way to do this. So he has said, do not murder. Jesus has now said, do not do name-calling. Why? Because name-calling is not just tearing down somebody's dignity, but you're actually attacking what? The creator and his design. You actually have taken it farther than you realized. Is that in Jesus' kingdom, Jesus says, you will not name-call. Because that is not about... Jesus. That is not about who he is and what he is like. If you see a woman caught in adultery, what does Jesus do? He doesn't call her an adulteress, but he calls her daughter. He builds dignity up. He does not tear somebody's dignity down. Jesus is about redeeming lives. That is who he is. He's about redeeming people. He's not about tearing down their dignities and making them feel bad, making them feel like they're nothing. Jesus is not about that. And to call somebody raka, Jesus says, that is not what my followers will do. And Jesus then says also about this idea that if you call somebody a fool, you're in the danger, you're in danger of the fire of hell. What is Jesus getting at? Because this is a phrase that we we may understand, but there's actually a specific phrase that is used to describe something. It's called the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom is the place, if you look up in history, is the place where wicked kings such as Ahaz and Manasseh sacrificed their own sons to a god named Molech. Jewish writers called this entrance to the fires of hell. They called that valley the entrance to the fire of hell. So by the time Jesus is using this term, it indicates final judgment. Jewish writers indicate it to be entrance to the fires of hell. So now do we see how serious Jesus takes this topic of anger and the negative things that can come from it? Jesus understands that, and you'll know this, Jesus will teach on this, that any kingdom that is divided will not last, correct? It does not last. So Jesus is talking about building a kingdom that is united and it will last forever. So what does he have to deal with? He has to deal with this topic as one of those. He's going to talk about unity. So how does Jesus expect us to do this? How does Jesus expect us to live in this place of unity? of not being angry with somebody, not being divisive, but being unified. How does Jesus do this? Well, he talks about it. He tells you exactly what to do because he's in the business of reconciling people. And he says, you're also going to be reconciling yourself to one another because he understands that as we walk through life, you and I are going to have blow-ups. You and I are going to make mistakes. You and I are going to say things that we should not say. We're going to do all those things. We're going to hurt people intentionally or not. We're going to do those things. And so what does Jesus tell you and I to do? Well, he says, if you're my follower of Jesus Christ, here's what you'll do. You're going to own it and you're going to go to them. Not them come to you. You're going to go. You're going to go if you've hurt somebody. If you have done something, you're going to go to them. And you're going to address it. They're not going to come to you about it because you're the one that did it. So Jesus says, own it and go to them. Does he not? He says, you go to them. He says, in fact, it doesn't care what kind of gift or whatever you're doing for the Lord. It doesn't matter any of that. He says, even if you bring a gift to my altar and present it to me, he says, leave it and go be reconciled. He says, leave it behind. Once you reconcile, then come back. I mean, what Jesus is saying is, Very, very strong. Why? Because he understands that if he's going to build a kingdom that lasts forever, it's going to have to be a whole lot different than every kingdom we have seen in the past, in the present, and in the future. It's going to be a whole lot different. It's very, very challenging. And so Jesus says, you know, if there's something that a friend or somebody else, your adversary, your enemy, is bringing to you and saying that we're going to go to court over it, Jesus says, settle it with that person don't take it there. Do it now. Make the correction. Make it right. Own it. And this is such an interesting thing that Jesus is bringing up because he says, otherwise, you're going to be put in prison, which is something that culturally, this is something that would take place. He provides a method as to what will happen. But what Jesus is simply saying is unreconciled anger is the inner equivalent of murder. Think about that. Unreconciled anger is the equivalent of murder. I mean, you talk about some deep teaching right there that Jesus has just provided. He's talking about something much deeper because they only want to focus on the outward thing of murder. Jesus says it's more than just the outward thing of murder. Jesus says this is actually talking about unreconciled anger that we need to address Jesus gets that deep and what he wants us to know is unreconciled anger will destroy relationships how many know that it does unreconciled anger destroys relationships in the kingdom of heaven what is it about it's about reconciliation we are going to be agents of reconciliation because Jesus has reconciled us yes we become agents of that we become agents of healing not agents of destruction That's who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. We don't do things the the way the world does. We don't respond the same way. We do things differently. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do. You may be thinking, well, how, how do we continue on doing this? Well, this is why it's so important. As you see in the book of Acts, you'll see how the church grew and how the church became more deep in their relationships. What did they do? They not only had large gatherings, but they had small groups with it. They met together because when they would go to the temple, they could not have large gatherings. It was unacceptable because why? They didn't believe in Jesus. So they had to do this strategically. They had to do this in small groups. They had to do this in a different way. So they not not only had places where they could potentially have a large gathering, but they also found ways to meet in smaller groups. Because why? Because they had to get to know each other. They had to get to learn to communicate and be around somebody who doesn't look like them, think like them, talk like them, because you're inviting not only Jews, but you're trying to get Gentiles involved now who are not Jews, and all of a sudden, you have all these different types of cultures, you have different opinions, you have different beliefs on certain things, and how economy should work, and how you should treat your kids and your family, all these different things are coming at one time, and Jesus says, here's the key for you, is to be in community, real community with people. Get to know them, and they get to know you. Bring something to the table, and they're going to bring something to the table for you. It's very interesting what Jesus is getting at. And I'll share with you one of our stories that I just absolutely love. We had a, a group meeting, and the teacher was providing some biblical references of names of individuals in the Bible, Noah, Moses, those kinds of things. And, there, and one of the attendees recognized something. They recognized that another attendee in the room was giving that face like they didn't know what those references were. You see what that attendee realized is that person was newer to the faith, that person was a new believer in Christ, they were new to the church, and they didn't fully understand the references that were being given. And so that attendee, rather than saying, I know everything, I already know what's going to happen, I already know those stories, or I already know that teaching, they went to that person who was having a hard time following, and they sat next to him and they began to explain to them the references the background of those names. They decided to not only just attend, but to participate by helping somebody else on their spiritual journey. And both of those individuals are still in our church years later. Why? Because they not only looked at it and said, I can bring something to the table, but now, somebody can bring to something to the table for me. I can learn and I can also give. I can receive and give. That's what Paul says to do. He says, practice the gift. The, the, he says, practice the discipline of giving and receiving. That doesn't just apply to finances. That applies to relationships. And it can be hard because when people are dealing with so much stress, so much anxiety, and maybe they get nervous around people and all these different things, that's okay. You're welcome to the table. Bring your stress, bring your anxieties, bring all of that. Because you know what? Jesus invites you to his table all the time. And he will teach us and help us and show us that not only do you bring something to the table, somebody's going to bring something for you. I can honestly say I've learned a lot from being at the table from people who may have been in church for a really long time or not even been in church for a whole lot of time. I learn something by being around them, by communicating, by learning things about them and them learning things about me. I learned so much just by simply doing what Jesus said to do, being in community with one another. This is where it is conversations take place. This is where deeper relationships are built. And this is where united hearts come together. We find more reasons why we're united rather than division we find more reasons behind it. I learn about people's convictions that may be different than mine. I learn about their background, their history, their family, what they know about scripture, what they don't know about scripture. Some know more than me, some know less than me. It's okay. We come to the table together and we commune together and we learn stuff about each other. And what we realize is that there is more that unites us in the family of God than divides us. Now I'm going to bring up a second part because, you know, I'm going to use this scripture found in Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And some people may be wondering, why are you cherry picking? Why are you going all the way to Acts for this? Because I want you to see the teaching Jesus just gave, but how it plays out in the actual local church. And what happens when the local church takes Jesus' teaching as verbatim and does what he says? Things begin to happen in an unreal way. And my prayer is this, is that we as a church will will come to a point where we continue to strive and strive and perfect what this church does. Because when you strive for what they're about to do, you're going to see the results of what they're going to be seeing in their churches. It says this in verse 42, it says they devote themselves to the apostles teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. There's thousands that have just come to know Jesus and that's the day. He says, everyone was filled with, watch this, awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. What were they doing? Not only in community, but they're serving people, serving others. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And watch this, the Lord added daily the number of those who are being saved. When we become a church that strives and perfects that, that is what will follow. Signs, wonders, miracles, daily those are being added to the Lord's family. Such a, a wonderful thing. So not only do we live in community with one another, but we devote ourselves to serve others. We devote ourselves to serve other people. Such a critical thing that we do. This is also backed up in Matthew chapter five. I mean, these things. And Acts chapter two is just showing us when they took Jesus at His word, things began to happen, greater than they ever realized. They didn't. They. I mean, they were seeing things happen. But how many know signs, wonders, miracles? I mean, daily people getting saved. That's a whole lot of. That's a whole lot of wins that are happening all at once. It's a whole lot. Such an amazing thing. So when I serve others, and when they serve others, what they are realizing is this is foreign. This isn't something they're used to. You're serving people who don't look like you, think like you, talk like you. You're serving people that in that way. It's truly interesting. And Jesus was telling them that in this, when you devote yourself to it, here's what will follow. Here's what will follow. You follow this, and here's what will happen. You, you aim for this, you strive for this, here's what will happen. Now, I've part I, have, I know several friends in ministry, and we've have, we have conversations and, and I hear stuff all the time, and I pray that this doesn't happen here, but numerous times I've heard this, this comment where a person in the congregation comes to that pastor and says, "This church doesn't care about me." This, this church doesn't like me. This church doesn't, you know, whatever the case may be. They, and they start listing all the things that are wrong with the church. And they come to the pastor, and they start complaining, and they start tearing down that pastor, saying, here's what I think you should do with the church. This, 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 and this. And they start listing all their expectations, expecting the one, only one person to fix everything. How many know when it comes to your family unit it takes more than one person to serve and help in that family. You need everybody as a family unit to be working together. It's not just one person. It's everybody doing their part, right? And as I've had numerous conversations, there's always a question, these questions started coming to my mind more and more. And I realized that this is pivotal to ask these questions because you may be feeling this way. You may be saying those things. I don't know. You may be believing those things. This church doesn't care about me. This church doesn't even know what's going on in my life. This church has no clue, all these different things. And here's two questions you have to ask yourself. And here's two questions I would ask somebody. Is there, and I don't say this to guilt trip people. I don't say this to tear you down. I simply want to, how many know, challenge you? If, you have a, if you've been in sports, you get better when a coach challenges you. Now, if a coach is only challenging you all the time, how many know that's exhausting? Need some encouragement. Let me know that I'm doing something right at some point, right? So how many know my heart? I'm not always try, trying to do that. I try to help us grow in our faith, but also there comes a point where we have to be challenged in certain parts of our spiritual life if we want to continue to grow. We have to be challenged. And so there are two questions you would have to ask yourself because it's pivotal. Number one, am I in a small group? There's where natural care and community take place naturally. It happens. I've seen it too many times. I don't have time to give you story after story after story of things happening in people's lives. And the small group knew about it. The small group met the need. The second question, am I serving on a team? Natural community, natural things happen when we do what Jesus calls us to do. Am I serving on a ministry team? Am I doing what Jesus has already asked me? If I'm not doing any of those things, now I know why. Because Jesus calls us to community. Jesus calls to service. He does not call us to isolation. He calls us to stay together, to be together. Because if you want to be stronger, if you want to be better, if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to take steps of faith, even if it's uncomfortable. Faith is not about comfort. Faith is about doing things that you naturally don't do. And when you take, and I talked about this on Wednesday, when you take a step of faith towards Jesus, you're doing something that's very foreign to the enemy. The enemy can predict human behavior and he can predict your human behavior. But the one thing that trips him up is when you step out in faith. When you take God at his word and say, it may not, I may not think that it's going to work this way. I may have different opinions about what he is saying. But you know what? When I take a step and follow Jesus, I am doing something that's foreign to the enemy. And it is unpredictable. Faith in the enemy's eyes is unpredictable. It's very unpredictable. Why? Because he is not a person of faith. Because he is a person who is resistant of faith. You want to move in power? You want to move in authority that the power and authority Jesus has called you to do? Take steps of faith. Go against the grind. Go against the, the things that you have believe in, and some of the things that you just said, well, I've done that before and it didn't work, and I've tried that before and I got hurt. All these different things. And I'm not minimizing any of those things. I'm just simply suggesting to you, push forward. Move forward. Trust God at his word for what it says, not what we want it to say. For what it says. And I'm telling you, things will begin to happen all the time. And I'll close with this story because I think it's impactful. We have a foster family group here at our church, small group. We have a donation closet where we know that a foster parent can get a phone call say, hey, we're bringing these kids over to your house. And they got no time, really. And buying clothes and things can get relatively expensive. So we provided this foster closet downstairs in one of our classrooms, and and um, you know, there so families can come in, grab their clothes, grab the clothes that they need for the child that's coming to their house rather shortly and quickly. And we had this one particular lady come into our or come to our front door one day and said, "Hey, I heard about this through word of mouth, I guess." and said, I, I have some kids coming to my house. I need some clothes. And I heard this church has some. And so the person that was at the door invites them to come in, and, and, they, and she takes them downstairs, and she starts showing them and figures out that this lady speaks Spanish. I don't know how that came up, but they started talking. And, and all of a sudden, she says, hey, we have a Henderson Road campus, and the service is in Spanish. You should probably go. You would like it. And the lady actually showed up at the Spanish church,